You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. Uh, guys, two weeks ago, we opened something up where we started talking about the authority of Jesus and based on that, the authority of Scripture in the church. Uh, and so we are looking at this idea that Jesus came after he rose from the dead, and he said, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and teach people to essentially be like me, right? And, uh, and we saw that Jesus actually so much identified himself with the Scripture. He said the Scripture spoke of him. We saw that Jesus in his life had this high view of Scripture, and because of his high view of Scripture, we have a high view of Scripture in the church. Amen? Amen. All right. So I want to just kind of continue on today talking about why we have this high value for Scripture, um, you know, why we submit to it, and how it actually benefits our lives. And I want to start by just looking at a few places where Paul actually speaks explicitly on his view of Scripture. And so I'm going to just read a couple verses to you quickly, and then we'll, we'll back up and go into the context of one of them. But uh, first off here, we're Romans 15, verse 4, okay? And Paul says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And so he's saying that in the Scriptures, we get taught endurance, there's encouragement, and it gives us hope, right? And then we go on to this other one, really well-known passage, um, says this. This is 2 Timothy 3. We're going to read verse 16, 17, and then in a minute we'll back up and look at more of the context of this one. But here it is. Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is where we get our idea that you'll hear often in church that the Bible is God's inspired word. This idea that it's God-breathed is that we actually believe that the scriptures came from the heart of God. He breathed them. He spoke them through the people who were writing what they wrote. And it tells us here that it's good for these things. It's good for teaching. It's good for rebuking, correcting, training, right? And it says so that the servant of God might be equipped for every good work. And so when you think about these things, right, Paul's saying it gives you endurance. It gives you encouragement. It gives you hope. It teaches you. It trains you. Think of Scripture like a personal trainer. Think of Scripture as that person who's going to be in the gym saying, come on, you can do it. You got one more. Who's just like... Who's afflicting you, really? You know, like any, I remember I went to one of Tracy's classes once in this room, cross, my first CrossFit experience, and I remember being told, like, how to, how to lift the weights this way, and I just, inside, I was like, I was so frustrated because I wasn't getting it right. And, uh, and yet there's something in that, having somebody tell you what you need to do, it's going to benefit you. Can I get an Amen. And so here we have these words from Paul. He's saying these God-breathed, inspired words are good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training, right? They equip us. 
And I want us to look at the context in which he said those words. So I'm going to read a bit from the beginning of 2 Timothy 3. We're going to read the first five verses, and then we'll jump to verse 14. But listen to this, okay? And actually, before I read it, I want us to recognize this is actually believed to be Paul's last recorded written words. And so, so these are the things that Paul thought, man, this needs to be said. This is important. This, this letter that he's writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, the guy who he's really passing, passing the baton of his ministry to Timothy. And in that context of these final words we have from Paul, this is, this is what he says to him, okay? Here we go. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, just keeps on going here, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Paul's really, you know, to the point. And uh, and he goes on in the next few verses that we're not going to read, and he describes these false teachers and the way they work, the way they oppose the truth. And then he goes to Timothy and he says, but you know me and you know my way of life and you know you know how I've lived and what I've taught and what I've shown you. And he says this interesting thing. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But in the midst of all that, okay, then after saying all these things, picking up in verse 14. But as for you, remember all that list, right? All that list of what Paul's saying the world's going to be like, what people are going to be like. He says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So you hear this from Paul. He's saying, terrible times are coming, right? And, and, he, and he, he describes these people, and he sums it up with these lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. And then later on, we heard him saying, to suit their own desires, people are going to gather to themselves, around themselves, teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Does that sound familiar to our, you know, 
your, your social media algorithm, maybe, right? You surround yourself with what you want to hear, right? And so there's this idea that Paul is saying, like, there's, there's coming this time. That's what it's going to be like. But right in the midst of that, we have this, this glimmer of hope, this beacon of hope, if you will, right? It's the Word. It's the Scriptures. In the midst of all that, continue in the Scriptures, right? Look at, look at this part, right? In the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, he said this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. You hear Paul kind of like building the gravity of the moment about what he's about to say, right? Like in view of this God, in view of King Jesus, in view of the fact he's going to judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. The charge is simple. Preach the word. And so there's this, this, this thing that we see in Paul's heart here near the end of his life, and as he's passing the baton to Timothy, he's like, above all else, in the midst of whatever goes on, how terrible things get, you know, hold to the scriptures, preach the word. And amidst this kind of dismal picture that he paints, we have this beacon of hope, and it's namely the scriptures. And so I want us to see kind of what the scriptures are and do and how they function. I want us to see what he's pointing to in this text. And quickly, I just want us to catch this this thing of endurance first that we looked at from Romans 15. I want to connect it to, he says that Scripture is God-breathed in what we read in 2 Timothy 3. It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed, right? What else, what other picture maybe comes to mind when you think of God-breathed from the Bible? When he created man, it says he breathed into Adam and life came into him. There's something in the very breath of God that is the source of life, that is what brings strength and the very endurance that we need and the encouragement we need and the hope we need in any situation, in any day, in any culture, in any time comes by the Spirit of God breathed into us. And in many ways, guys, the Spirit of God breathes into us through the Scriptures. When you expose your heart to the written Word, you're actually interacting with the very Spirit of God. And He's breathing into you strength. And I want to say to you guys that that sometimes we get this idea that new is better. But in actuality, we we have this idea in Scripture that there's this word from God that's been spoken from the beginning, and that word is eternal, and that word is established, and that word stands true amidst all the changes of culture, amidst all the changing definitions of words and all the sort of things that go on. There is this word that is spoken by God, recorded in the Scriptures, that continues to stand transcendent through the ages, faithful from generation to generation, and that is a beacon of hope. New is not always better. Sometimes the best thing we need is a restoration to an ancient way, an ancient path. 
makes me think like when I was in my roofing company, there would be these new revolutionary products that would hit the market and you can actually pay triple for them. And, and, and they failed. I remember this one, I will leave it unnamed for now, rubber, rubber roofing product that was like all the craze when it came out. And within 10 years, I, can, I could give you addresses and locations. You can drive around the city, and they're curling, and they're discolored, and, and people paid extra money for this stuff. And they would have been better off spending a third of the money on just a standard old-school asphalt shingle, you know? And, uh, and the point is, though, right, is like there are these oftentimes we get this idea that we, got it, we need the new thing. But there's actually this tried-and-true tested over time word that is the scriptures that I would encourage us to hold to. But the main thing I want us to catch today, guys, is that oftentimes hard words are good words. You know, there's a lot of things that we find really difficult about the Bible. Troubling hard to understand. And that's actually a big part of why it's so good for us. Look at, look at what Paul says it's good for. Back in that, that main text, okay? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. The, the, the big thing that it, way it functions in our life is correctional rebuking, teaching, and training. Yes, it gives us endurance, and it gives us encouragement, and it gives us hope and those things, right? But again, I said to you, it's like a personal trainer. And sometimes that personal trainer is like, come on, you can do it. No, do it like this. Not like that. You know what I mean, right? And, and that, that trainer comes and, and kicks your butt. And, and there's actually something in the way that Scripture kicks our butt that's good for us. We all know that there's voluntary exposure to difficult things that is good for us. We know that already. We keep talking about it. I keep talking about it in exercise. But how about Buckley's? Anybody had Buckley's, you know, medicine, right? It tastes disgusting. That's their slogan. It tastes gross, but it works, right? Or now, like, new, new hype these days, right? It's like the ice baths and the cold water. And, and what you'll know if you talk to people who do it or you'll talk to people who, who go to the gym, they'll say a similar thing. This, this exposure to something difficult, something hard, something painful that really sucks, it actually builds in you a resilience for the tough times. There's an emotional stability that you experience in your life from afflicting yourself to the trials of hard exercise or ice water baths. They actually say, like, one of the best things you can do to battle depression is exercise. There's this connection. Anyway, that's not the point of the message today. But, but the, the thing I want us to catch is that this exposure to hard things can be actually really good for us. There's something in the Bible, and it's hard words, and it's difficult things it says, and it's hard-to-understand portions that are actually really good for us. And it's why we, we say things like it's authoritative and we submit to it because sometimes there's things in it that we don't understand. Maybe we'll talk about that in a bit, but I'll, I'll just say, but we bow to it. 
See, oftentimes I think we want a God in our image. We really, really like ourselves. It's okay, it's okay, anyway, but notice how Paul said this, he ends this thing about, about the way things are going to be terrible. He says they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says to suit their own interests, they will gather around themselves, many teachers, right, to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And so, so there's this actual great hope we have and that the Bible's going to tell us things we don't want to hear is why we should love it. Are you with me? This is, this is a, there's a wrestling in this for sure. But I'll put it this way, okay? And this, I'm just going to give full credit where credit is due. This illustration is Tim Keller's, okay? I heard it from him, and it's great. But you know, like, if you're married, you know that there's a great benefit and that your spouse will disagree with you. Can I get a, a half amen in the room or something? Okay. That you're, you're, the fact your spouse disagrees with you actually makes the relationship real intimacy and really good for you. It's actually how it shapes you. It's actually how it changes you. And, and Tim Keller gives this illustration. I just, man, you just got to run with it and give him credit for it. Because how many know the, uh, the, it was a novel and then it's been a movie twice, The Stepford Wives? Is no The Stepford Wives? Stepford Wives are, if you don't know it and you're not familiar with it, basically the premise of the story is these men get their wives turned into robots that will always agree with them. That, that stay young and youthful and all this stuff, right? And then the whole idea is, is that these wives just do exactly what the husbands want them to do. It's, a, it's actually a horror film, <laughs> you know? It's like, and, and, and the idea is this, is I think, this is how we put it, at times we want a step for God. We want a step for God that we can program to be exactly the way we want him to be, not a God who can disagree with us and challenge us. And here's, here's the quote from Keller. He says, only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or marriage will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is the precondition for it. Thank you, Tim Keller. Uh, you know, it, it, there's this idea, right, that, that having this scripture that will actually challenge us and disagree with us, correct us and rebuke us, that, that gives us um, an awareness that through it we're having a relationship with the real God. Not just a figment of our imagination, not just a God that we've created in our own image and likeness. Because God's in the business of making us more into his image and likeness. Not calling us to make him more into our image and likeness. And yes, his word, the scriptures are full of difficult things, hard to understand. And with that in mind, I want us to consider the people of Israel. Do you know when... Um, 
one of their forefathers, previously known as Jacob, he was renamed Israel in Genesis 32. And the story in which Jacob is renamed Israel is a story where he spends a whole night wrestling with God. And the very name Israel means wrestles with God. And so there's something that we as God's people are called into and invited into this journey of wrestling with him, wrestling with what he's spoken, wrestling with his truth. And yes, there are times when you're reading it and, and something hits you and you're like, really? Did you, did you really say that? You know, or, or things seem to contradict, but there's this journey that if you'll commit to the wrestling journey with the scriptures, with the God of the Bible, There's great blessing that comes. He's blessed as a result of this wrestling match. It also says he he comes out, if you read the story in Genesis 32, he comes out of that evening walking with a limp. He's different, okay? He's humbled in some sense. But he's renamed. And, And the people of God take on this name for the for the rest of their story, for human history, Israel means wrestles with God. And I can tell you from my own journey that, that when you hold to the scriptures, when you go, okay, I don't get this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bow to it, I'm going to submit under it, I'm going to continue to hold on, I'm going to continue to wrestle with it, revelation starts to unfold. Insight starts to come. Things that didn't make sense at one point start to make sense and start to actually benefit and affect my life. How many of you know that when you became an adult, things that your parents always said to you when you were a kid or a teenager start to make sense? I hope so. I hope you can raise your hands on that one. There, or, there's, or there's teachers in my life that spoke different things that I remember once I came into this you know, role of pastoring, things that I had heard them said for years, all of a sudden started to make sense. I'm like, oh, oh, that's what you're talking about, right? But there's this reality that things get spoken to us at certain stages of our journey and our life that we don't understand or we don't actually know the importance of. And as life goes on, it starts to make sense. And if you stick with it and you wrestle with it, God will unfold the value of it to you. I think to myself, when I was a baby Christian, I would read this part of Scripture where Paul talks about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And there's this list of nine things that describe the fruit of the Spirit. And I remember early days, I was kind of like, okay, so if I, can, if I can do all those nine things, then I get to be in the Spirit. And I remember one day it hit me. It was like, oh, it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's actually stuff that starts to be evident in my life through a relationship with the Spirit. It's not the precondition to me, you know, finally getting to step in that I work it up on my own. There's actually this invitation to just have a relationship with Him, and He develops it in my life, right? Or things like, you know, the Scriptures tell us to obey the law, or the Scriptures will tell us to praise the Lord. There are these commands. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why does God, like, Need to be praised so much. What's his, like, is he insecure? Is he a narcissist? Like, what's the deal? You know? And what you, you start to realize, though, is that that command to praise the Lord is for your good. 
Because when you actually turn your attention to how good he is and sing these songs that these guys lead us in week after week, there's actually something that it does in you. It aligns you to the truth of who he is, which aligns your whole demeanor and your emotional well-being and just all of your life to that reality. Right? And so there, there's this, this process through which the things the Bible says to us that we don't get and we don't understand when we hold to them, stick with them, wrestle it out. It will change you. It's good for you. And we're going to be, as the church, a community of people who wrestle with God, who wrestle with the truth. But I think the important thing that, and why I'm preaching into this these couple weeks is that it's just wanting to stay, say his word will be the authoritative voice in his church. And I, and I said it before, I'll say it again, but you know, if it's not the authoritative voice within a community, then that community is likely not the church. And so that's, that's who we are. That's who we're called to be. And I think the concern and why I feel the need to say that is because oftentimes you'll find, you know, we're wrestling with truths, we're wrestling with ideas, and, and a lot of the conversation will maybe start with, well, I read this blog, or I, you know, read this study, and, this, and nothing wrong with blogs and listening to other voices and reading other studies and all this sort of stuff, okay? But the authoritative voice within the church is going to be this text. It's going to be the scriptures. And so at the end of the day, if we're wrestling over an issue or a question, the ultimate source that we're going to go to is going to be the scriptures. And we're going to say, well, it's, it says here, it says there, and maybe we're going to find things that seemingly contradict, okay, but we'll wrestle it out. I like that Paul says this to Timothy. He says, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Right? There's certain things that we become convinced of in our journey. And I know for me, in simplicity, uh, one of them is God is good. And he's also wiser than me. You know, and, th- and those things, man, they, they take me through some difficult wrestles, some difficult questions. So we stick with them. And I think sometimes we think to ourselves that if we had lived in the days that Jesus lived, we would have been good friends with him. We're, we're, we're like, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And we, and we read the Gospels and we see all the silly things other people said and the dumb ways they reacted to Jesus. And we're like, no way, I'd be right. You know, we're like Peter. We're like, I'll go with you all the way, Lord. Right? I think in reality, Jesus would have really offended us. I mean, you look at some of the things he said, and they were difficult. He goes, you know, oh, you of little faith. Or, how long must I bear with you? <laughs> or, or, or he says things like, he says things like, you know, this is, this is the one that really comes to mind when we think about difficult, hard to understand. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're going to have any part in me. And a bunch of people stop following him. And there's this moment where he goes to his disciples after that and he says, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say to him? Peter says, where else are we going to go? 
you have the words of life. Like, even though, even though I don't understand what the heck you just said, I experience something when you speak that encourages me, that breathes life into me. There's something that happens when you talk, Jesus, that I just want to be with you. So even though I don't get this, I'm going to stick with you. And so when we, when we talk about submitting to the authoritative word of God, in many senses, that's what we're talking about. We're going, hey, listen, I don't totally get this. I don't totally understand. But before you, King Jesus, I will bow. Before your word, I will bow. Your word above my word. So I think the, the, the real question at the core of this for me is like, will we bow before the word of God or will we require the word of God to bow before us? And, and, and we, you know, I get it. I get that there's tough stuff to wrestle through. But we're called to be those people. Say, yeah, no, my hope's here. My hope's in this word. I bow before you, King Jesus. I bow before your word. Even when I don't understand, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wrestle with you. It's not like you just get to the point where it's like, okay, I arrived now. I got all figured out. Don't worry. I can tell you. You know, it's, it's, it's a journey, a lifelong journey. But what we have in it is this transcendent eternal truth that shines in the darkness. I think we sang those lyrics today, your name is a light in the darkness. Your name is the word of truth. Yeah, I heard those words being sung while I was in my office this morning, and they were practicing, and, um, you know. You can say, your word is a light in the darkness. Of course, your word is a word of truth, you know. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am so grateful for this book. I'm so grateful that it's got definitions in it. I'm so grateful that it has really black and white statements in it. They says, go this way you'll live, go that way you'll die. You know, it's like, okay, thanks. Keeping it simple, Jesus. You know, I'm grateful for that. Grateful for it. So let's stand and pray, and then I'm going to hand this over to, to Charlotte to give us some instructions. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that in this book, there's hard words we need to hear. There's God-breathed words that give us endurance and encouragement and strength and hope. There's correctional words. There's rebuking words. There's teaching and training and equipping for every good work. We ask, Lord, that you, by your spirit, by your grace, continue to make us a people who love you and love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. 
If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.